It's almost like he knows what he's doing. It's almost like he has a plan. And it's almost like he's looking out for us. I tell you, I was really blessed by the praise and worship this morning. Um, just confirmation for me because that, that song that we were just singing, that goes right along with what I'm going to be speaking with you today. And, and that tells me that God has a message for someone in this house today. And so you need to pay attention. Um, the, the title of my message today is Wounded But Victorious. And uh, I'm going to start off by talking a little bit about, you know, how life feels sometimes. Sometimes it feels a little overwhelming. And so I wanted to start by talking about something that uh, actually Greg Hilbert alerted me to this week. He may not have known that he did that, uh, but he shared a video and it got, it piqued my interest. It made me want to, to dig a little deeper. And so there's this thing, this event that they hold each year. It's called the Cooper's Hill Cheese Roll. And some of you might have seen the video, some of you might not. Uh, but each year, um, beginning, well, actually, the, the first recorded instance of this is in 1826. And apparently they were already doing this long before then. And what they do is uh, they stand up at the top of the hill, and, uh, and they do this every year, rain or shine, even if there's a natural disaster or some kind of famine or whatever in the land, they still send the village elders out there to roll the cheese down the hill, and they will chase the cheese down the hill, and then the winner gets the cheese, right? Um, in its modern iteration, it's been described as 20 young men chasing a cheese off a cliff uh, and tumbling 200 yards to the bottom where they're scraped up by paramedics and carted off to the hospital. I mean, it is crazy what these people will do in pursuit of some cheese. But rather than try to describe it, I have a very short clip that I figured I would show for you all in case you had missed it. So, uh, Brother John, if you will uh, roll that video for us. doing next weekend, right? <laughs> anyway, I was just blown away by the fact that they would go out there, they would sacrifice health and wealth and body and, and strength for some cheese, right? I love some cheese, but I don't know if I'd go that far. Now, I know it's silly. I know it's a, it, it's a funny thing to think about. Uh, and I know that most of us have never chased a nine-pound cheese down a hill like that. However, I think there was something in that video that we can kind of relate to sometimes. Did you notice at the end, the, the, the girl that won the women's race, she's standing there, had her arm in a sling with the cheese on her shoulder, and she's grinning from ear to ear. She won that cheese, but she paid a price for it, right? And, uh, and, and some of the other people, I mean, just the looks on their faces, it was just shell shock, right? You saw the one girl just scooting down on her butt. She's like, I'm in over my head, Right? Uh, and so, while we may not relate with having chased a cheese down a hill, I think we've all had that feeling where it's like, okay, this was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And, uh, and this hurt a lot more than I thought it was going to be. And so I thought, this cheese roll could really be a metaphor for life. I mean, think about it. We start off at the top of the hill. We're, we're nervous. We're excited. We're optimistic. Maybe our friends and family are there. Our friend's there to egg us on, Right? Uh, and then uh, and take bets on whether or not we're going to be the one that gets hurt. Uh, and our mama's there telling us, please don't do this. Please don't do this to yourself. At least make sure you got some good insurance, right? Uh, and, then, and then off goes the cheese, the thing that we want, and we start chasing it. And we think, well, all i got to do is run down this hill. But it's a lot harder than it looks. And so you make one misstep, and then, and then it you know, kind of keeps going from there. Anybody ever rolled down a hill on accident before? 
And it just seems like it just gets worse and worse, and you're bouncing off of trees and rocks and all that kind of stuff. And by the time you get to the bottom, you're like, man, this did not work out how I planned. Um, and so, you know, that, that is how life is sometimes. We, we have these beautiful plans. We, we think we know how it's going to work, right? We think it's going to be onward and upward, and, and we think it's going to be smooth sailing. And we do everything we can to ensure that, right? But that's not necessarily how life works out. So why is it like that, though? You know, if, if you go back to creation and you look at the fact that when God created the world, he looked at it, and several times he would look at what he created, and he said, man, this is good, right? He declared it to be, this is good, right? So if he created the world and the world is good, why is it so bad for us, right? Why do we have to deal with so much stuff? Well, for that, you got to turn just a little bit further, and we turn to Genesis chapter 3, and that'll be where we're uh, looking today. So Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start with verse 8. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, just turn your Bible on, right, and, uh, and, and get over there to it. Okay, it says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees, and then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word. Lord, thank you for your scripture. Lord, as we try to make sense of the world, sometimes it helps for us to go back and look and see why things are the way they are. Lord God, I pray that you would just help us to hear the message that you want us to hear today, Lord. Lord, that, that, that we are, can be wounded but still victorious. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would anoint me to say the things that you would have me say. I pray that you would anoint the hearers to hear what you would want them to hear and Lord God, I pray that you would be a healing uh, balm to any who are wounded today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, interesting part of this story. If you go back and you look, uh, I, I love the fact that, the, uh, that Adam and Eve, our, our father, our great-great-great-great-granddad and grandmama, right, they're out there and they have very typical human responses, right? When they do something wrong, what was their response? One, they were ashamed, right? We've all felt ashamed before. Then they start trying to shift the blame, right? Adam actually does it twice. First he says, well, the woman that you gave me, all right, so God, this is your fault. You gave me that woman. And then it's her fault because she gave me the fruit, right? And so he actually tries to shift the blame twice. And Eve does the same thing. She, she points at the snake. So it all turns into he said, she said. I mean, right from the beginning. And, uh, and that, that's funny to me because, I mean, we all still want to do that, right? We all want to point at somebody else's fault who it is. It can't be ours. And then finally, if you notice, like, every time God asked them a question, they never actually answered the question. Like, they didn't give him a straight answer, right? Um, you know, for instance, where it says, um, where, where God says to, to Adam, did you eat the fruit? Instead of just saying yes or no, right? He said, well, actually... You know, it was this and this and that, and right? And the same thing when he looks at Eve and he says, what have you done? 
She doesn't say, well, I gave him the, I ate the fruit and I gave it to him. She says, well, no, the servant, serpent deceived me, right? So they, 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 they don't want to answer straight, and, and uh, that can be very frustrating. Any parents in here, you've probably had those conversations with your parent or with your child from time to time, and you talk to them, and you ask them, well, well did you do it? And they'll say, well, you, you know, they start giving you all these excuses, and you're like, no, 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 son. This is a yes or no response. That's all I need to know. Did you do this thing that, that you weren't supposed to do? Is that a yes or a no? Well, yes, right? We've all been there before, and, and it's hard as humans to admit to that kind of stuff. Um, but so I think it's, to me, I, I relate so much to Adam and Eve. You know, sometimes people would like to, they'd be mad at Adam and Eve. Man, you guys messed it all up. But well, would we have done any better? Probably not. But anyway, the cool part about this story is that we're introduced to a theme here. All right, we're only three chapters into the Bible. All right, we're not very far at all. And already we're, God is introducing a theme here that he will develop through the remainder of Scripture. And that's this idea of a wounded victor, all right? And uh, so just taking, you know, making a couple observations here. First of all, it says that there will be animosity, there will be uh, conflict between the offspring, right? The offspring of the woman and the offspring of the, the snake. And uh, the offspring, this word offspring in Hebrew is Zerah, and it can refer to a group or to an individual, right? Um, you know, my offspring could refer to 87 children, if that's how many I had, or it could refer to just one. Um, and, and it's the same way. So we have to get a little further down the road before God makes it clear. Um, so God's promise creates uh, some, some, some uh, not necessarily confusion, but it doesn't necessarily give us the whole picture yet. But he's, he's introducing this idea to Adam and Eve. Even though you guys have messed up, even though things are, are not going to be like they were, Okay, we're still going to do something to redeem things. We're, we're going to do something to get you uh, back to where you need to be. The next word I wanted to look at is this idea of strike. It said that, that the offspring will strike the serpent's head and that the serpent will strike the, 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 the offspring's foot or heel. And, and this, uh, this is a Hebrew word, shuf. Um, and it, it literally means uh, to break, bruise, or overwhelm. Okay, so this is not just a, oh, ouch, that hurt, you know, kind of thing. This isn't just an ankle sprain. This is actually a fatal blow. So when, when the offspring strikes the serpent's head, it will be a strike unto death. And when the serpent strikes the offspring's heel, it will be a strike unto death. So this is a, a life or death situation that will come along. And, uh, and so God, at the very beginning, as soon as Adam and Eve messed up, he said, all right, guys, we're going to have to deal with some stuff now. We're going to have to, there's going to be some consequences, but I've got a plan to get us back where we need to go. We've got a, a plan B, right? We've got a contingency. So how did God react? Well, first of all, he let them know this has changed the rules of the game, Right? How many of you guys have ever had a situation where something occurred in your life and you realized that, you know, things are going to be different from here on out, right? You know, um, I was talking with someone earlier this week about um, trust and, and betrayal. And when someone has betrayed your trust, um, it's not that that relationship can never go back to the way it is, but it's going to take a lot of work to get you back to where it was. You know, if someone has been lying to your face, you have to then, from then on, you're going to have that little question in the back of my, my head. Is, is he lying again? Is she lying again? Is she, is she being fully honest with me? You know, and, and it's going to take years to build that trust back up. That's, that's one of the things that they, that they talk about all the time is that, you know, it, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and trust, but it only takes a couple seconds to destroy the whole thing. And really, that's what happened here with Adam and Eve. In, in just one momentary slip-up, they had changed the entire nature of their relationship with God. And I thought it was interesting. God goes on and he gives these two, uh, he actually gives three uh, poetic declarations, right? One for the serpent, one for the woman, and one for the man. And uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, with the serpent, he declares, basically he declares war on him. He says, you are cursed and you will be overcome. This is God's declaration of war. You might have messed things up right now, but in the end, I will overcome you. I'm making arrangements to, to reverse this that you've done. To the woman, 
it's a, it's a curse on her reproduction and on relationships, right? So no, for, no more will, will birth be easy. You know, when God said, go forth and multiply and fill the earth, you know, that, that would not have been nearly as difficult if not for this situation. And also, you notice that it says the husband and the wife are going to be in contention now, right? So reproduction and relationships became uh, changed in this. And finally, to the man, he said, the whole world is cursed because of you, right? So uh, not only the world, but the nature of work. See, when man and woman were put in the garden, they were, they were put there to tend the garden, right? It's a whole lot different to tend a garden, right? To go pull a few weeds every now and then and to, and to harvest the fruit and bring it in than it is to actually tear down the, the, the trees that are there, clear out the rocks, till the soil. That's a whole different kind of enterprise, right? And so the nature of how things were going to work out, the nature of how the world was going to be and exist to this point was going to change. And, uh, and, and then in those poems, we also have our first prediction of Calvary, all right? Adam and Eve didn't know what he was talking about. It was an incomplete revelation. We would have to read further in Scripture before that, that was revealed, um, but, but that was the first place there. But victory was declared, right? You know, things might have changed. Things might not be as good as they were, once were, but in the end, victory is declared. And then finally, God reminds them of their place. See, Adam and Eve, when they reached out, when they took that fruit, they were trying to put themselves in the place of God. God was the one who had the knowledge of good and evil, right? And when the serpent deceived Eve, what did he say? He said, you will become like God. So what was Adam and Eve's sin? Well, yes, it was disobedience. Why did they disobey? Because they wanted to be like God. They tried to put themselves on God's level. If we read further in Scripture, we see that that's what got the serpent in trouble to begin with, right? The, the devil tried to elevate himself to God's level, and then he was cast out for that. And so God reminds them. So those are just a few observations about, uh, about this Scripture. Okay? So now we have a brand new system. The world is a brand new way, um, and Adam and Eve have to figure out how they're going to function in this new reality. And, you know, this new reality is, is not as nice as it once was. You know, because of choices they've made, they're now dealing with some things. Um, and, and so they had to learn how, how am I going to operate in this world where I'm going to experience suffering and pain now? And basically, they had to learn how to exist and endure these, these hurtful, painful things. They, they would be wounded by their life and simply have faith that God was going to be good on his promise, that God was going to follow through and, and give them victory over the devil. And so God gave them this progressive revelation. Um, he slowly revealed through, through Scripture more and more of who, uh, who this wounded victor was going to be, right? Think about it. When you start with Adam and Eve, all we know is that it's going to be one of their offspring. You don't know much about him. All you know is it's going to be one of their offspring, and he will be fatally wounded. Then you go further down the line, we see Abraham. Abraham, he says, you're going to be the father of many nations, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. So now we understand that this offspring is going to come from the line of Abraham. Further on down the line, as Jacob's on his deathbed, he, he, makes, he, he narrows it down further. He says, it's going to be from the tribe of Judah. The, the tribe of Judah will be the kings of Israel, and this, this king will, will come from your line. And so it goes from just one of, one of humanity to a child of Abraham to a child of Judah. Then we get down to David, right? Then there's the Davidic covenant when he says, I will establish your throne and, and it will never be taken from you. And, and so then we know that it's going to come from the line of David. Isaiah makes some future predictions about this Messiah King that will come one day. And so all, all of this is doing, it, it starts with a very broad thing. There will be someone who will come. He will be wounded, but he will be victorious. And it narrows it down, and it narrows it down, and it narrows it down until finally we see that it's pointing to one person, and that is Jesus. So when the people who lived before Jesus suffered, it was different for them than it is for us because they, did not they, they, they didn't know who was coming, right? They, it was actually a bigger leap of faith for them than it is for us. Because we have the revelation of Jesus. We know that Jesus died and rose again and that he was victorious. They were just hoping that that was true, right? They had to trust God. 
And so uh, they, they did not know, and, and they, they simply looked forward to the day that the Messiah would come. It explains a lot of things, right? It explains why when, when you look at the Israelites uh, in captivity and how they're longing to be free, they're like, oh, come on, God, how long is this going to be? When are you going to restore us? When are you going to come through on your promise? The same thing uh, in, in the prophets. You look in the prophets, and when they're taken away in captivity to Babylon, it's the same thing. They're sitting on the riverbank saying, God, when are you going to take us back? When are you going to come through for us? You know, um, one of my favorite books of the Bible is uh, Habakkuk or Habakkuk or however you want to say that. But uh, I love it because... Uh, he, he gets in God's face, really. He says, I'm going to stand up here on this wall, and I'm going to say, God, how long is it going to be? And I'm going to stand here, and I'm not coming down off of this wall until you give me an answer, right? I love it because I'm a little bit like that myself. I'm a little bit impatient myself. Sometimes I look at God, and I'm like, God, you gave me a promise. You gave me a word. When are you coming through, right? Because where I'm at right now, this doesn't feel like promise, this doesn't feel like blessing right now. This feels like a whole lot of junk I'm having to deal with. And so for, for the people in the Old Testament, man, they had to have so much more faith than we do now. But at the same time, we are in the, kind of the same place that they are, or they, they are in that they were waiting for the Messiah to come. When will the Messiah come? Who will he be? When's it going to happen? We're kind of in that same place. Even though the victory has now been won, we're in this weird in-between stage, right? Where the Messiah has come, but he's coming back. And so, again, we have to learn how to deal with all the pain and the hurt of life in the here and now while we look forward to the, the Messiah returning. And we look forward to uh, the, the time when the world will be remade, everything will be restored, and it won't be uh, this painful, hurtful experience anymore. Um, in the meantime, while we're in this middle period, right, what Paul calls a, an already and not yet, right? You know, that, that's the language they use. It's already, the, the victory's already been won, but it's not yet been completed. And it's the same of the, for those of us who are believers, who, who have uh, decided to live our lives devoted to God and, and to, to follow Christ. We're already saved, and yet it hasn't been completed yet. We're not who we will be. Uh, we haven't worked it all out yet. You know, we were talking Wednesday night in our Bible study about the fact that isn't it awesome that God gives us a chance to work through things over time, right? You don't have to, okay, God, I, I'm going to get saved. I'm, I'm declaring you Lord of my life. And that that doesn't mean that you have to be you know, perfect from then on out, right? God will, just like he did with Adam and Eve, he will progressively reveal more and more things that you can surrender to him and that he will help you to overcome. For instance, I, I know people who, you know, the, it was like the moment they got saved, boom, they had a substance addiction that just went away, right? Um, th th there were people who maybe they were a smoker or they were addicted to alcohol or, or drugs or opioids or something like that. And, and, and we hear these stories about people who once they turn their life over to God, it's like, boom, instantly God took that away from me. That desire was gone. That, that physical need was gone. And yet for others of us, we don't go through it like that, right? It's more of a process. You know, I, I know of people who they've been saved for years and they still haven't worked it all the way through. They're still working through their sobriety, and they're still working through, you know, turning over the different areas of their life to Him. And you have to think about that. There are many areas and facets of our life that have to be slowly put under God's control, right? When we say, God, you're the King of my life, you're the Lord of my life, that means you get all of it. Now, I have to learn how to let go of that, right? And that's a little bit like parenting, right? When you start off and you've got a little baby, you're in control of everything they do 24 hours a day. If they're going to eat, it's going to be because you fed them. If they're going to have a diaper, it's going to be because you put it on them. You know, if they're going to be taken care of while you're at work, it's because you made arrangements for them, for them to have child care. If they're going to go to the store, it's going to be because you dragged them there in the car carrier, right? Everything they do, their entire existence is controlled by you. And one of the things we have to do as parents is train them, teach them to take care of themselves, and then slowly let go of the areas of control, right? And we have to say, okay, now you take care of yourself. You pick your own clothes for school this morning, right? Um, let's, you, pick, you, you make your own breakfast this morning. Pack your own lunch for school, all right? Eventually, we get to the place where it's like, okay, here's the keys to the family car. Do not wreck it. Drive yourself to, to, to practice or drive yourself to work. 
you know, and, and then we get to the place where they're 18 and we're like, you know, I know you're still my child, you still live in my house, but you got to decide where to go to college. Where are you going to go? That has to be your choice, not my choice, because you are now a legal adult. And the choices you make from here on, you're the one responsible for. But we have to do the same thing with ourselves, and that's hard to do sometimes because we don't want to let go of control, right? We love control. We like to be in charge, right? I, I love, there's an old movie that I like to watch called McClintock, and, uh, and it's an old John Wayne movie, and, and one of my favorite lines is there's this, there's this young pup, and he's kind of back-talking the foreman of the ranch, and the foreman just stands up, and he says, listen, I'm the ramrod around here, and if you don't start giving me a yes, sir, I'm going to bring the roof of this house down on you. I love it. It's just a great scene, but that's what it is. I mean, you could just tell that this foreman, he was eating it up. He was like, man, I'm the one in charge. This dude's going to do what I'm going to tell him to do, right? And we like that. There's something in it about when we're in charge, it just feels good, right? I'm the boss. I'm the man, right? And yet, if we're going to live a life committed to Christ, we have to turn that over. And here's the thing, though. That's scary to do, right? Because in life, we're going to get hurt sometimes. And it's really hard to give up control when we might get hurt. Anybody ever ridden in a car with someone who's not a real good driver, Maybe they're driving a little fast or a little erratic. Maybe they're uh, going around those turns, barreling around those corners, as my wife likes to describe my driving. Uh, but anyway, when you're not the one that's in the driver's seat, it's scary, right? It is scary, right? Because this is my life in your hands. I could get really seriously hurt in this situation. And that's the way life is. We can get really seriously hurt, and so we like to hold on to that steering wheel. We don't want to let go. But the thing is, if we don't, we're not going to be able to walk in the fullness of what God wants us to do. Now, here's the deal. Every time you get in a car, you're not going to be in an accident. You're not going to walk away with whiplash and, and uh, broken legs and all the kind of stuff that happens in, in, in a car crash. But it is guaranteed that if you're in this life, you're going to experience some hurt. You're going to experience some pain. It's going to happen. It's just the nature of this world. And so while we're stuck in this halfway in between, the victory's already been won, but the hostilities haven't ceased. You know, I love to study history, and I like to study, you know, the, the uh, battles and, and uh, World War II and World War II, Civil War and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that was always interesting to me, it's like today, if, if say, for instance, our country was at war with another country, and the, the, the leaders of the two countries decided, okay, we're going to sign a, a peace treaty. We're going to declare an end to the hostilities. With our satellite technology and all that kind of stuff, it's like the people on the other side of the world, they can know about it right now. But back in the day, that's not how it was. And there, there are a record of many, many battles where, you know, the, the, the two kings had already come to an agreement. They'd said, okay, we're not going to fight anymore. But the news had not reached the soldiers on the front line. And so the soldiers are still out there fighting and dying and getting hurt and injured. And the, the, bat, the, the war's already over, right? And I think, you know, if, if that had been me, if that had been one of my family members that got hurt, it's like, okay, the peace treaty was signed on Tuesday, but your, your cousin died on Thursday or Friday, I'd be pretty frustrated about that, you know? I can't imagine the pain of, 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 of a family that lost a member, and then they think, man, this was pointless. My, my child did not have to die. My brother did not have to die. You know, but we're kind of in that place. The victory has already been won, right? We already know that God wins, that he's in charge, and that at the end of it all, he's going to win. But we are still kind of stuck in this mop-up action, right? The devil hasn't apparently figured it out, right? Or maybe he has figured it out. He knows that he's dying, but, but he's going to take as many of us in the process as he can. So that's why this world is evil, and that's why those of us who decide that we are going to live for God, that's that basically when you say, I'm a Christian and I'm going to live for God, you're just painting a big target on yourself, all right? Now, I'm not saying this to, 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 to discourage you because God has promised blessing and protection and all this kinds of stuff. But when you are living and serving God, that's when you're going to get attacked, right? I mean, think about it. If you're just floating through life and you're not doing anything for God, if you're not advancing the, the gospel, if you're not sharing with people, if you're not leading people to Christ, if you're not serving your community uh, and showing the love of God, the devil's not going to mess with you. You're, you're, you're not even important enough to bother with. 
But the moment you stay, say, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to show the love of God. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do the right thing. That's when the devil tempts you. That's when the devil comes against you. And listen, we suffer evil from all kinds of sources. Sometimes it's from bad choices we made. I mean, that's just simple fact of the matter. Sometimes we do things that are not real smart, right? And maybe we didn't have all the information, or maybe we did and we just couldn't fight the urge, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how hard I try to be good and eat healthy. If you bring in some maple bacon donuts and put them in front of me, I'm going to be tempted, right? Yes, I said maple bacon. If you want to bring maple bacon, that's fine. Um, But anyway, um, sometimes the evil that we suffer is because of other people, right? We live in an imperfect world with imperfect people. And sometimes things are done that are unjust, right? Um, It's not fair that a family has to suffer uh, because one of the spouses, the husband or the wife, went out and stepped outside of the bounds of marriage. And yet, it it doesn't just affect them. It affects the spouse. It affects the children. You know, it, it... um. Elizabeth was sharing about one of her coworkers this week who uh, has just recently gone through a divorce, and he said, you know what? I'm okay. I'm an adult. I can handle the pain. I can deal with the end of my marriage. I just feel so bad for my son and, and what he's having to go through and all these kinds of things. And, and it's, it's not even fair that this child has to deal with the, the breakup of his family. He's experiencing pain. He's experiencing hurt. And this is not how God ex- uh, 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 planned for things to be. And yet... We still have to deal with these things. Other times, it's, it's just imposed on us, you know? Uh, there are things about our society that are unjust, you know? There are things that, there are, there are groups of people that are, are targeted or, or discriminated against. Uh, I mean, I think we've come a very, very long way in a very short time. I think we've improved fantastically, but there are still people that are prejudiced against and, and, and that are, are targeted uh, or, or falsely accused. You know, there are, there are, you know, and I'm not saying that any law enforcement person is bad, but I mean, there are uh, corrupt individuals in the government, in, in law enforcement, in the military. I mean, just wherever you go, corruption is going to be there, and we have to deal with that sometimes. And it's not fair, and we have to deal with it. But what we have to do is we have to think of ourselves as, you know, we've won, right? How many of you guys like to watch football? I like to watch football, right? And sometimes you get to a place in a football game where it's clear we've won, right? The score is 38-2, to two and it's just this now the start of the fourth quarter. They're not going to score seven times in the next 15 minutes. We've won this game. But that doesn't mean you get to get, just quit and walk off the field. You still have to play out the game. You still have to run out the clock, right? And guess what? During that, what they call, what they call the, the mop-up time at the end, uh, where, you're, where you're just running down the clock, you know what? Your players can still get injured. People are still taking hits. They can still uh, get knocked out. You know, that, that's one of the crazy things is you, you see a player sometimes and you're thinking, man, this is one of the stars of our team. And, and it seems like, you know, this game was already won. And yet they go down and they get a season-ending injury. And you think, man, that was pointless. That's not fair. You know, this, they've already won this game. So what do they do? They, they try to be careful. They play conservatively. They don't go crazy on the plays. And in fact, if they get the clock down low enough, what do they do? They, they do what they call the victory formation, where they just kind of bunch up around the quarterback and let him kneel and run the clock out. You know, so we're kind of in that place as Christians. All right? God's already won this game. It's already 38-2. to two. The devil's going down, right? But we can still get hurt in this last 15 minutes while we're waiting for things to go on. So the question is, as Christians, how do we deal with that? Because if God has promised us blessing, if God has promised uh, to protect us, if God has promised to, to watch over us and guide us and guard us, you know, how do we deal with the fact that sometimes we're still dealing with the effects of evil? You know, we, we, evil in our hearts, evil in our families, evil in our communities, in our nation, in the world, you know? So what do we do? Well, um, if the musicians would like to come up at this time, this would be a great time. Um, John Piper is a, is a great preacher, and, and he put together a good list, I think, of, of responses that we can have to evil. So I took uh, his list, and, and I adapted it a little bit. But I think um, when we come up against evil, and we will come up against evil, there are several responses. There are eight different responses that we can have to that. Number one is just expect it right? Don't get caught off guard with it, all right? You know it's coming. 
It's, it's crazy. It's like the people who every year they get surprised by taxes, right? It's like, you know it's coming. It's on the calendar, all right? You know that rent is on the first of the month. How do you get surprised by that? Now, I understand stuff that you don't expect, like, oh, well, my car broke down or, or whatever, but, but how do you not expect the, the, the mortgage, right? <laughs> it's just, it's part of life. You're going to have to deal with it, so prepare for it. It's the same way with evil. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial upon, when it comes to, upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. As Christians, you're going to have to deal with evil. You're going to have to deal with it. You will be wounded in the process, but you can be victorious. Number two, you have to endure evil. It says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. All right? If we are motivated by God's love, if we are full of God's love, if we are like the, the song said earlier, if, if our cup is overflowing, if we are overflowing with God's love, then we can endure anything. You know, love is being able to forgive that person when they hurt you. Love is being able to, 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 to forgive them when you look them in the eye and you know they're telling you a lie. You know it. You know for a fact you've got the proof. But you forgive them anyway. Or it's going to, job, going to your job and working and, and doing things and, and doing what you know you're supposed to be doing even when you know your supervisor or your boss has it in for you and they're trying to nitpick you and find a way to bring you down. You know, you just endure it. Why? Because people see that. People see the injustice you're suffering. They see how you respond to the evil. And they're going to notice if you don't respond like the world would teach us to respond, right? Tit for tat eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's not the God way. So we endure evil. Number three, we hate evil. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. We have to hate evil. When we see evil in the world, it should light a fire under our, uh, uh, in our spirit. Right? That's one of the reasons why I knew you know, my parents, they always told me when I was younger, they said, man, you ought to be a lawyer. You love to talk. You love to argue. And I do. I love to argue. All right? It's fun to me. It's fun to have that battle of the wits, right? I mean, I just, I love it. I love trivia and coming out on top and all that kind of stuff. I, I can remember, you know, I was talking to one of my friends. I, there was a group of them, and we all got together, and we were sitting down, and we were, we, we just talked for hours. And we were arguing about different things. We argued politics. We argued theology. We argued uh, football. We argued everything we could think about to, to argue about. And some of us won the arguments and some of us lost them. But at the end of it, we were all still friends. And when we walked away, I told him, I said, hey, you guys might have been frustrated, but this is the most fun I've had in a long, long time. I enjoyed this, right? And so, you know, but at the same time, when I see injustice, you know, that doesn't work for me. You know, so when my parents said, man, you ought to be a lawyer, I was like, I can't do it. I know I can't do it because there are times when the innocent man goes to jail and there's times when the guilty man goes free and I know my personality enough to know that that would eat me alive. I wouldn't be able to stand it. Why? Because God has put in a desire for me for truth and for love and for justice and I don't want to see injustice in this world today. That's how we have to respond. Next, we have to resist evil, all right? Evil will bring you along, right? Evil will try to pull you into it. Evil will try to tempt you, and you have to resist that pull. You have to resist it. Man, there are times when it's like, sometimes I sit there and I think, man, if I wasn't so honest, right, I know I could get away with this. I know that, you know, I remember, I remember one time uh, we got into a, a long discussion uh, when I was at work because we found a place where uh, the things had been left unsecured and there were literally hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment just sitting there available for anybody to walk up and take. And I remember talking to my friend and I'm like, man, it's a good thing that we are, that we are honest guys because anybody could just grab some of that stuff, walk away with it, make themselves a pretty penny, right? I mean, just this week they they uh, jailed the, the, the famous Pappy Gate uh, scandal, you know, they found the guy who stole all the bourbon and stuff, and and you know, it was a whole ring of people involved in stealing this stuff, right? They didn't resist the evil, they didn't resist the temptation. 
That's James chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Next, you have to expose evil, right? Sometimes we have to stand up in a prophetic way and we have to declare that something is wrong, right? You know, it, it's like right now we have, we live in a society where it's legal to abort children. And so, you know, as Christians, we, we have a responsibility to stand up and say, this is wrong. This is wrong, you know? And yet, you know, not everybody sees it that way. You know, that there's, there's the question of, well, 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 what should we do? If we made it illegal, does that mean we're going to start prosecuting the women? Well, I don't know if that's what we should do or not, because I don't know if they really understand what they're doing. But the doctors do. They've got medical training. They know that's a baby. They know that that's a, a human life that they are terminating, right? And as Christians, we have to stand firm and say, listen, this is wrong. No, no black and white, no gray in the middle. This is black and white. That's wrong. And that's our job. We have to expose evil. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It talks in the Bible about how evil, they like the darkness. They don't want their activities to be exposed. Sometimes we have to call them out. Next, we have to pray for escape from evil. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ask God, listen, I'm in this world. I know I've got to be in it, but not of it. I know I'm going to get my hands dirty sometimes. I know I'm going to get hurt sometimes, but deliver me from this evil. Protect me, guard me, watch over me. We pray and God will deliver us. Number seven, we give thanks for the refining effects that of, of evil that comes against you because when we struggle when we're when something comes against us when we're hurt that's when you get a chance to shine when somebody comes against you when someone does something to you that's unjust that's your opportunity to show what you're made of to show who you are on the inside and sometimes we don't even know ourselves we don't even know where our line is until something comes along and it tests us and then we're like okay I know I, I can overcome that now. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 says, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For everything. That means even the pain, even the struggle, even the injustice that we face. We should thank God for that. Why? Because it gives us an opportunity. It gives us a story right? It gives us a testimony because we can point back to it and we can say, listen, this was not fair. It shouldn't have happened to me. Or maybe I did it to myself. Whatever it is, but God brought me through it. He delivered me from it. He protected me in the process. And he got me through. Even though I was wounded, I was victorious. And finally, we have to overcome the evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Overcome evil with good. You just, you have to overcome it. And when the evil comes, you respond with good. When someone says something hateful, you bless them right back. When someone talks about you behind your back, you compliment them. Kill them with kindness. Don't actually kill them. You know what I mean. But the point is, we have to overcome the evil. Evil is everywhere in the world. And so because we have overcome, right? Jesus overcame him because he overcame, we've overcome and so that means everywhere we go, when we see evil, evil should be scared silly when we walk in the room. It should be trembling in its boots. Why? Because we're not people who just have to take it and take it and take it and take it and take it. No, we are victorious. We can walk forward. We can overcome it. Guys, life is hard. It is. And it hurts sometimes. And sometimes it feels like it's too much. I mean, really, it does. And, and sometimes, even if we're fighting the good fight, even if we're doing the things we know we're supposed to do, even if we're, we're, we're saying the right things and doing the right things and, and living according to what God's trying to tell us to do, it gets tiring. We get worn out. And God knew that. That's why he gave us a couple things to help us. Number one, he gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you everywhere you go. There's, it's like the song said today, I'm not alone. You're not alone. And when you're facing things that are hard and you're facing things that hurt, you're not alone. He gave us a Sabbath. Why did God give us a Sabbath? He wants you to rest. What Stephanie said today, we don't even know how to rest sometimes, right? 
I mean, you can look in my calendar, my, 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 my agenda book that I keep, and you can see on my Saturday, which is the one day that I don't have to be at the church and I'm not work and I'm not doing all that kind of stuff. What do I, I still got stuff scheduled. I don't even know how to rest on my day off. You know? And yet, God has declared, I need a Sabbath. That's why we come together to, to worship together, to love on each other. Man, when I see you guys, it lights up. My, I mean, this really is one of the highlights of my week. I love getting together. I love uh, the fact that Bill has to run us out the door at the end of the night, start flipping the lights, get out of here. I got to go eat lunch, right? I love it, right? Because God has given us Sabbath and he's given us community. You know, one of the things I've been really encouraged by lately, I've seen a development within our body, within our body, and it's, it's coming from our young people, from our teenagers and from our young adults and from our older adults too, but uh, it's, it's a new level of maturity that I'm seeing in that um, for all of its negativity that social media has. What I'm seeing lately is I'm seeing that the young people in our church are reaching out to each other and they're saying, hey, I'm having a rough day. They're saying, hey, I need your prayer today. They're saying, hey, there's this lady at work and she's struggling and she's not having a good time and I need you to help me pray for her today. And we start seeing the responses coming in, praying praying. I'm, I'm praying right now. I'm right there. What can I do to help? Do you need me to come up there? Do you need me to visit you? Do you need, what do you need? You know, and, and we don't always have time to, to do everything that we want to do, but we are willing and able to support each other. And we need that. God gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Sabbath and he gave us community. Why? So that when we are wounded, we don't give up. We don't say this is too hard. We push on and we claim that victory. Christ was wounded, wounded unto death. He died because he took on all of the evil of this world on himself. And he died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose. He was victorious. He has the keys of death and hell. And he is one day going to come again to, to declare the reign of God on this earth. And when he does, you know what it says we're going to be doing? We're going to be reigning right there beside him. We are victorious as well. And so, what do we need to do? When we are wounded, some, some of us are still bearing the wounds, the, the, the pain of wounds that happened to us years ago. Some of us are still carrying baggage all the way back to childhood. And we carry that with us, and it hurts. And guess what? It probably won't hurt. It won't ever stop hurting. You know, when you lose, when you lose someone who was dear to you, right, the pain doesn't go away. You just stop thinking about it as much. And you learn to take an eternal perspective, and you learn to, to have hope that you'll be reunited someday. But the pain doesn't stop. It doesn't go away. Every year when my grandparents' birthday rolls around, it's a bittersweet thing for me. Because I'm thinking, man, I'm so happy for them. They're in heaven. They're healed. They, 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 they no longer are suffering and dealing with the things that they had to deal with on this earth. But man, do I miss my mom. You know? The hurt doesn't go away. But that's when we have to lean on each other. Guys, I know that every person in this room has something that is, is hurting you. It just, it's... It, I mean, it's it's not even like, oh, well, when when do you get hurt? No, it's it, or it's not if you get hurt, it's when you get hurt. We're all going to hurt. We're all going to be suffering. We're all going to have some pain in our lives. And so what we have to do is we have to claim that victory. We have to say, you know, God, even though I've been wounded in all this, I'm still going to be victorious. And so that is what we have to claim today. So here's what I want to do. I want us... To, to, to do something a little different today. Everybody in this room has something that they've been hurt about. And you might feel like sharing it, you might not. But what I would like to do is I would like to practice what I said about community. So what I'd like to do is I'd like everybody to get on your feet, all right? And I want us to get in groups of, of three or four, all right? So I want you to look around and find somebody who's got some groups of three or four. And the Bible tells us that the prayer of a righteous person avails much, so what I want us to do is I want us to pray for each other because one of the reasons 
we, uh, we, we do the prayer up in the altar, is sometimes we feel like, well, you know, they're on the prayer team. They know what they're doing. But no, we can all pray for each other. And so I want to take a few minutes, and I want you to just pray for everybody in your, in your group of three or four. And if you want to share something that might maybe you're going through, this would be a perfect time to do it. Uh, if, you, if, you, if it's something that you'd rather just be private about, that's fine. But I want us to pray for each other so that, so that we can know that even though we've been wounded, we're still victorious. And while we do that, I'm going to pray for up here. I'm going to pray over all of you. Father God, we come to you today and we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you for this story in Genesis chapter 3 of explaining why the world has to be the way it is and why uh, we have to deal with the things that we have to deal with in this earth. But Lord God, I pray that you would just continue to, to, to lift us up, Lord, and we hold on to this promise, Lord, that you made back, all the way back to Adam and Eve that there would be a wounded victor, Lord, and we know that that has come in the person of Jesus Christ, Lord. We thank you that he overcame. Lord, we thank you that, that he overcame the devil and that, and that he has won the victory and that he took on all of this evil in the world. But Lord God, we thank you for that. Lord God, we also are wounded victors. Lord, sometimes the things we have to face, it's so overwhelming and we feel like we don't know what to do with ourselves. But Lord God, I pray that you would help us to hold on to the fact that we are victorious. Lord, the clock is winding down and we are in our victory formation. And so Lord God, everywhere we go, when the world tries to hurt us, Lord, we're just going to endure, we're going to take it, we're going to resist it, and we're going to proclaim and overcome that evil, even today. Father God, we worship you. Lord, and we thank you for our brothers and sisters on each side of us. Lord, we're not the only ones that have issues, Lord. We're not the only ones that have hurt and pain in our lives. And so we lift up our brother and sister. We pray for them. We, we stand with them. We stand in the gap with them. We stand willing to resist the devil together. Lord God, I pray that everyone in this room, if there's anybody here who's suffering today, who's going through a tough time in their life, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's a relational issue, Maybe it's an emotional issue. Uh, Lord, whatever it might be, Lord, we turn it over to you. We declare the victory and we claim it in your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.